Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 122 with my friend, Megan Swan. Megan, someone else I met through the Sober Curator who has a remarkable story that takes us from Canada to uh, Europe to Mexico to the U.S. That's right, the U.S. And I, I really hope you guys enjoy this. And she has, this is such a nice ending to the Dry January series because she has such a different uh, view on sobriety and uh, the specifics of kind of what you pick to be sober from. And I, I love that because I'm, I'm kind of in that same boat. So without further ado, I'm going to give you over to my friend, Megan. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Let me just make sure that I'm uh, speaker, AirPods, microphone. Yeah, we're good. Can I tell you how much I love the fact that you just checked that? Because I have to usually walk people through that. <laughs> so, it's, sometimes it's like trying to explain Netflix to my mother. And it's um, I, I love that you just did that without any prompting. I appreciate that deeply. And I think that falls right in line with a compliment I'd like to like start out with, which is I obviously didn't check every date, but I was looking at your podcast and you're consistent right every seven days and that's so important and it's like my biggest pet peeve with anyone that ever wants to start a podcast they always reach out to me and i'm like well here's what you should do here's blah and that's like the thing like well everyone wants to do like an episode every you know three days and then every two weeks and then and it's like no 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 it drives me nuts so thank you for consistency <laughs> so yeah well as you said that i was just i'm like i'm i'm batching like January, but I am for the first time in two years taking like four weeks off. There's not going to be anything published. And I'm like, I don't know how this is going to affect my, my ratings aren't that high anyway, but you know, all the things I'm like, no, it's okay. <laughs> there yeah. can be a break between season two and season three. <laughs> There's real anxiety there though. Like it's uh, I so I'm in grad school right now and I decided when I started grad school, cause that mm -hmm. was the same time that season four started that I would do every other week for the first time. And like, I, I hate it. And no one has reached out to me and been like, I miss every weekly episode. But in my mind, I'm like, no, I have to. Um, so starting it's not January, good enough. yeah, starting <laughs> January, I'm going back to weekly. I just, uh, I can't, I can't take it. Um, <laughs> it drives me nuts. But anyway, I digress. Um, hi, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for sitting down with me. I usually start these things out with how I know people and while I know you through the Sober Curator, uh, as we both do stuff with, with Elise on there, I don't know a lot about you beyond that. Um, and, and I'm excited to dive into the few things I do know because just little tidbit facts like why you're in Mexico are um, interesting in themselves, but I, I definitely want to find out how we got there. So if we can start back in time, you're born. Yeah. Are you born in Canada? Yes. Are we recording? Oh, we're always recording, Megan. Always, okay. Always record. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, All right. Um, yes, I was born in Canada. So I spent, what, the first 17, 18 years of my life. I lived in Calgary, Alberta. Okay. Um, and then 
my mom had an opportunity at that point and she was working overseas. So I went and lived with them and my, my brother had gone with her. Uh, so I lived in Belgium for two or maybe three years. And then I went back to Calgary for a while, at which point I met uh, my first husband. And that's like a story in itself. Um, quickly uprooted and moved to the United States with him. So I lived in Minneapolis and then Houston. Marriage didn't work out. So then I went and slept on my brother's couch in Toronto for a couple months until I got a job. And yeah, I was in Toronto for six years. And then that brings us to 30. So at 30, I, you know, for multiple reasons, decided to finally go on this sort of eat, pray, love journey of my own, if you will. And that's how um, I ended up in Mexico. But joke's on me because I'm still here <laughs> on my first first stop 13 years later. Um, still haven't been to Bali. It's still on the list. <laughs> Well, there's, uh, but yeah, there's a lot there's to that. break down there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, I'm an open book. So anything you want to dive into? Well, you mentioned free. brother. Do you have just the one sibling or do you have more siblings? Just one brother. Okay. Yeah. Younger brother. Younger. Okay. What's the age difference there? He's three years younger, but if you saw us together, most people think he's older. He's uh -huh. kind of, um, you know, arguably the more responsible one or seemingly and like this yeah <laughs> yes exactly he has a beard and he has a corporate job and um he's just been a little bit more consistent you know like he didn't you know put all of his things in storage and go traveling for the, the plan was to go traveling for three years and come back and i still haven't got i'll tell you what. back 20s <laughs> 20s and maybe even into your 30s are a good time to fuck around in my opinion but that's, maybe that's just rationalizing my own shit um so alberta i i've talked to people in different parts of canada i don't think i've ever talked to someone alberta and when you say calgary immediately i think of hockey um so i what, we do have a decent hockey team what is what is it well and i'm from detroit so we obviously take our hockey very seriously here whether i care about it or not um, so <laughs> what um what's it like growing up in canada like what's what's your childhood like there with the, with your younger brother and you said your mom worked overseas was that something that started early or where are your parents at while you're growing up yeah no she uh, we can get into that later my childhood was I mean, I think pretty normal. <laughs> uh, we spent weekends skiing in the Rockies in the winter or hiking if it was summer, which you probably know being in Detroit, it's not quite as bad. But in Canada, you know, summer is relatively short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> winter is jokingly like six months of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I went to, what did I do as a kid? I, I sang in a choir, um, you know, my brother and I did not really get along at that point in the in the journey. It wasn't until um, we lost our dad that we kind of like uh, connected on different level. How old are you when and, that happens? Uh, I was 17, so he would have been 14. Okay. So yeah. I guess, I mean, pre that, right? <laughs> uh, and I, I wanna dig in a little, just because you use the the n word, I I, I I don't struggle with, but I think it's funny um, when we call our childhoods normal because it's all relative, right? Like it's it's relative to what we know is normal. Um, and I just wrote a piece about this because it's funny to think about the things that no one talks about after you're a kid, right? So you, there's no 
form of comparison and you'll have like a light bulb moment when you're 35 or 40 or 50 and you're like, oh, I guess we did do that differently. And something, uh, the thing I always put in perspective is like peanut butter, right? There's people that put peanut butter in the fridge and then there's people that put peanut butter in the pantry. And you could be a <laughs> fridge person your entire life and you just think that's like what everybody does. And then you go to someone's house and you see the peanut butter in the pantry and you're like, wait, why is this here? And you find out like, oh, <laughs> this is what I was doing is not the normal thing. So I, I'm curious to break that down a, a little more. Do you say normal and relative to like your friends and, and what you guys are all doing? And Yeah. So, I mean, um, aspects that maybe you weren't you know, storybook, my parents got divorced when I was seven. But again, like that seemed pretty normal. Like I had at least as many friends with divorced parents as I did not. Um, we moved around uh, a little bit, but not like, you know, military kid move around. We just, you know, I think I moved three or four times in my in my childhood, um, which seemed normal. Again, a lot of friends were doing the same. Uh, and, and I guess like we were normal by the cultural standards in terms of like how we spent our weekends and yeah. all, all that. Um, did our parents get divorced? Yeah, the same I, year? I, I, <laughs> my, my parents divorced in 87. And if I'm doing math right, oh, <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah. Well, I'll have to oh, wait. I was 79. Yeah, I think so. Interesting. <laughs> my parents got, got divorced at, um, you know, the, a lot, it's very common, the seven year, Mark, but they actually made it two cycles of seven. So they were almost about to get to 15 years oh, wow. um, when they got divorced. And so they also, I guess maybe that wasn't normal. They, they did like a lot of um, fun traveling as a couple, which back then was, you know, you know, avant-garde of them <laughs> Was that before they had children. <laughs> was that messy for you guys? Did they keep it like civil? Was What was that like for you as like a seven-year-old? Mm, well, they they kept it very civil. It wasn't until actually many, many years later that I realized like a lot of the things that had been going on behind the scenes that they you know hid from us. So I mean, what they did well was they sat us down and explained, you know, that it has nothing to do with us, that they still care about each other. They, you know, relatively speaking, kept up a good front in co-parenting. But yeah, I mean, I definitely did the, you know, weekends with dad or every other weekend. Um, and and there was a, like a clear difference in households and values and rules, you know, two Christmases, two Thanksgivings, two birthdays. Yeah. Uh, but again, like, I, you know, I have two girlfriends that I've known like my whole life. And one of them has sort of the more, you know, her parents are still married to this day. Yeah. And the other one had a very much more life like I did. So um, I didn't see it as super abnormal. And, you know, I guess I just looked for the silver lining and, you know, enjoyed having two birthdays and two Christmases. And, yeah. and I, you know, I don't, th I don't think I consciously too often played my parents off one another, because like I said, they were very good at, you know, parenting from a joint front. And so there wasn't, they, they respected each other. Um, they were, you know, good friends, but you know, it wasn't until later that I realized that my mom for years had been fighting for, um, you know, more, uh, more support financially for my dad, which was, so, I mean, I guess like one thing, it was very clear to me 
in, in different ways, you know, as a kid, these things manifest in different ways, but, you know, my mom was struggling and my dad was well off. And so I, yeah, I know that sentiment that. very well. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the one thing it's, it sounds terrible, but I loved as a kid is like my Christmas stuff for my, like I, my dad essentially like bought my, my brother and my love if he could, you know, like that's where I would get yeah. the game boy and like the full boxes of baseball cards and like stuff. And, uh, and like looking back, yeah, it probably sucked for my mom. Cause like, she's like, Oh good. He's buying all the stuff I can't afford. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, but. it was very much Disneyland dad is what we referred to it. I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it was a pretty common, again, that seemed pretty normal too, in terms yeah. of making him feel better about not being there as much. Yeah. That, that narrative is, is funny. Yeah. I, I relate, I relate to that very much. Um, the, the difference in my story is my dad moved to Florida after the divorce and we stayed in Michigan. So the, uh, every other weekend was definitely not a thing. It was just a week or two in the summer. Um, but what are your, what do your parents do then at that? Like for work, um, while you guys are growing up? Yeah. My dad was a, um, commercial real estate agent. So he like, you know, negotiated massive deals. He sold buildings like skyscrapers in downtown Calgary. Okay. Um, and so he was, you know, corporate culture, corporate life, woke up at six every morning. Um, and yeah, but of course, like this was, like, I remember when he showed us like the fax machine in his office, cause that was new. Um, you know, he had this like giant calculator, which was really cool. Like before he passed away, he did get my dad or he got my brother a, a computer, but it was like the green screen, you know, like he, he's oh, pre-internet yeah. basically. Um, so yeah, my mom is a teacher. And so what she was doing, um, she got this opportunity to teach, uh, there's a, a massive base, a NATO base outside of, um, Brussels, like okay. NATO is based in Brussels, but the families, you know, there's like a thousand U S families, a thousand British families, and not so many cause Canada is not that big. So I think there's like 200 Canadian families at any given time, always stationed over there. Oh, wow. And so she taught at the Canadian school. There's like a little elementary school on the base. And um, she, you know, applied for the opportunity before my dad passed away and, you know, had gotten his um, approval as well, because obviously the plan was to take us with her. Um, and then, you know, at that point, she let me decide I was 18 when she left. And so um, I decided to stay and study at university at the University of Calgary um and live my best life with the boyfriend at the time and um yeah it only took you know three or four phone calls like every weekend they'd be like oh we're in rome and the next weekend oh we're in paris and next week we're we're in vienna you'd be and i'm like all right screw this so your <laughs> your brother went with your mom then yeah because he was a lot younger i mean yeah. technically i guess didn't have a choice but he was he was game <laughs> he was happy so if i if i'm doing my my math right there your dad dies and then your mom moves to Brussels and then you're just on an island and, and trying to be a normal 18 year old. Yeah. And I mean, you know, my dad was a relatively high functioning alcoholic. Okay. He lost his job, which was like his main source of identity. Um, 
he'd had like other hiccups in terms of his alcoholism affecting his career throughout my my childhood but this was kind of like you know he he actually got fired from a job um so yeah when I was just it was like two weeks or maybe a month before I graduated I was 17 and he committed suicide and so that was you know I think my mom was also kind of um you know happy is not the right word but it seemed like a good plan to completely change the environment for my brother and you know like shift gears and um for me you know I had in my mind I was looking forward to going to university and I wasn't yeah I mean I guess I grew up in a in a household where it was understood you know you turn 18 you go to university or you get your own apartment like it wasn't assume that I'd still be in the household at that point. So. Yeah. I think with our generation, that just kind of was the thing. It's, it's strange to me that kids are like staying home until like 28 or something. <laughs> That's Yeah. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I couldn't wait to get out. Um, how, how do you process that at 17? Well, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I, I had, uh, you know, my mom, sent us or I think we all went together as a family for a while we did counseling but I was you know um I was a pretty jaded teenager before that (laughs) like that was kind of the icing on the cake in terms of uh marinating in this kind of sarcastic victim mode that was kind of my mo at the time um you know previously it had been because my parents were divorced and you know like all the all, all the things um but I mean, now looking back as a wellness coach, I can, you know, specifically pinpoint like why I was in a mild depression for most of my teenage years. It was completely based on my, my lifestyle. And, you know, um, not saying that my mom really would have had much power inspiring me to do anything differently, but, um, because the other element was I was, I was a difficult teenager. My mom and I didn't really get along and, um, yeah, I really gave her a run for my money. It wasn't until I had my own children that I just like, you know, cried her, called her bawling. I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> such an asshole for so many years. Yeah. Uh, Cause you just don't, you know, I just didn't appreciate her and really didn't appreciate like how, um, yeah, like how she fought to give us the best life she could even, you know, under the circumstances and, and also like self-actualize as an individual and like do her own thing. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, a couple, by the time I'm in Belgium living at their, their loft in this, it's not, we're not actually in Brussels. We're in a little town called Mons. And, uh, I mean, that was just a whole experience in itself. You know, I've had this group of, um, mostly American GIs. There were some Canadians in our group and yeah, just started, partying in Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And you're going from, cause drinking age in Canada is 19. Right. And then you're going to Europe where it's 18 or lower, depending on the country. No, it's in Canada, it's 18. And I would say in Belgium, it's like 15, like it's like it's legally it's 18, (laughs) but like there's a lot of 15 year olds in the clubs or there were back then. I don't know. So it's 20 years ago. So yeah, Um, that was my experience because my brother was in the club with us. So how long are you with the boyfriend and going to university before you go to Brussels? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the boyfriend at the time was, I mean, I was with him before my dad died. He, he really supported me through my dad dying. And so I think maybe we're together in total like two years, which 16 to 18 ish is, is a really long time. Um, you know, he was my first, he was, you know, we lived together, we had an apartment together. Like we really, I, I think what scared my mom the most is at the time, like I thought like this was it. And, you know, uh, she, she was just like, you know, breathe. Don't, <laughs> she knew it, whatever she, I, anything she would plant or say, you know, I would just rebel and want to do the opposite. So she didn't say much, you know, strategically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that relationship, um, ended i guess really not well that was like not one of my my most um graceful moments how i exited that relationship but yeah i imagine it, it needed you're just going through the motions and trying to numb in any way possible at that point like that's got to be whether whether you're conscious of that or not at the time that's got to be like a primary objective right because how do you process all that with your 17, 18 year old brain. Yeah. And also that was what had been modeled my whole life. You know, you deal with, um, everything, like not only the bad, but the good, everything. There's like a layer of alcohol is for celebrating for, you know, de-stressing it's for, um, you know, grief, you know, that's kind of the culture, you know, somewhat in Canada, but more specifically in my, um, social circles, my parents' social circles and my family. And so, yeah. And then this boyfriend was two years older. He was in university. He was this like it geek and, you know, was obsessed with bad religion and Metallica. And, you know, so I just like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) love it. I embodied that frequency for a couple of years with a lot of, you know, vodka tonics and, uh, yeah, it, that that was not helping the process, but you know, it was it was good. So, how old are you then when you go to Brussels? Are you eighteen? Yeah, or I think that would have been I like maybe just turned nineteen. Okay, so do you end up getting like even a semester or anything done at university here before you go? Uh, yeah. Well, I remember I went to see my mom. We have like a whole other story, but we have friends in Ireland, like from a long time ago. And so my mom planned that we would meet in Ireland for Christmas that year. And I had to deliver the news that I'd like failed out of calculus. And I think I maybe told her that I dropped out of universe. I don't know. It was like not a good, but yeah, I maybe got a a one semester or at least like in terms of credits (laughs) over eight months, I got one semester and then yeah, there were satellite university campuses um, on the base and also in Brussels. So I quickly um, started studying my undergrad or continued to studying arguably. I thought I wanted to go in business, like following dad's footsteps. It's like I didn't really have a good plan. Uh, so then I started um, working on my uh, undergrad in psychology through the University of Maryland, which had a satellite university, thanks to the American on the base. Um, Was that just indicative of your curiosity about everything that had shaped in your life so far the psychology yeah i think i first wanted to understand myself better and um but yeah i mean i always loved educating other people on or you know like helping them fi- connect dots and and figure out what was going on for them and eventually i did that for myself it took a couple decades but <laughs> 
I, I, like I said, I'm in grad school and I'm 39. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I relate to that. Um, well, that's, that's funny. When I started school, I was talking to my therapist about it and she's like, you know, there's two people that go to school to be a therapist and it's the people that are going to be therapists and there's the people that need therapy. And it's like, and I think there's probably some crossover between those two, but, um, I found that, you know, with a lot of undergrad, like I know my own interest in any sort of psychology class was like, yeah, answer these questions that I don't have answers to. Right. Um, which has now defined my entire existence. Uh, but <laughs> so Brussels, I mean, I have little to no experience uh, in any foreign countries. I think technically other than the Bahamas for my brother's wedding, which is a resort, which doesn't count in my opinion. Um, I went to Canada on my 19th birthday, which also doesn't count. So tell me about like being there. I know you said it's the NATO base. I imagine they try to westernize or like, did you feel at home in a way, like with the amount of Canadians and United States people or Americans there? Yeah, I mean, you could find that. We didn't actually, like my mom didn't want to live on the base. You could have, you know, the cookie cutter house on the base, but we lived in a little town, which was like a 15 minute drive from the school and the base. Um, so, I mean, it was just, it was just amazing. Like yeah. we, I, I think it's partly like my parents had, you know, honeymooned in Europe. Um, my mom at 16 had gone backpacking with her best friend in Europe. Like nice. it was, it was always presented to us that this was like the thing to do when you, you're older. And um, so I really romanticized um, the fact that just being in Europe travel and yeah, it was quite the experience. I mean, we, we, we lived, you know, like, I don't know, like a five minute walk from a train station and you could catch the fast train to Paris. It was like an hour and 20 minute train ride. You go Paris one way, Brussels the other way, you know, later when I had my own car and I was, um, you know, in different groups of people, we would like drive to the closest town in Holland where there were, you know, like all these stores we could buy, you know, ecstasy, mushrooms, like everything. It would be like this, this hot chick, you know, dresses a a club club or raver basically and she would give you like the very specifics on every single kind of product in the store and it was just weird but also amazing so yeah <laughs> the shoe fits um <laughs> so are you i mean would you looking back like would you categorize substance alcohol uh like as problematic at this point or you're just in your teens and 20s and, and just fucking around oh no i mean for me, the only thing that was ever really a problem was alcohol. And okay. I would argue, in fact, um, I don't know if you've seen Michael Pollan's series on on Netflix or read his book about um, how to change your mind. But I think if I had had some of that information about the, you know, less, like, like let's face it, like there was no narrative that ecstasy or mushrooms was like potentially healing in yeah, some way. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah. was just recreational. <laughs> Yeah. And I would argue in, in like the circles that I was in and certainly from my parents' perspective, like that was way worse than alcohol. Yeah. So, and like, that was something I needed to hide. Right. So, um, but when I was more into those substances, I didn't drink as much and I was really like a, you know, a happier individual. And it was like, not, you know, I'm not saying like, that's something I saw as being like a life plan by any means, but, uh, 
there's just certain experiences that I've had that I will like never forget. And I, uh, I also appreciate it. Probably it was like saved me in some way that I wasn't drinking as much um, in, in those scenarios, but yeah, alcohol was a problem. You know, it was like just, I mean, every time I drank on a Friday, Saturday, it was like blackout. Like I, it was like the, just the understanding that I would not, like, I would have to call a friend in the morning and figure out like how I got home and what I said and did. And, um, and again, like that seemed like fun at the time. And like part of the, you know, the, the drunk stories in the morning, it was all, um, normalized and, um, yeah, but ultimately like I was just in this, this, this spiral of feeling, feeling shitty about myself the next day, which would lead me to wanting to go out again and not feel that way anymore. I'm curious too, uh, the way you brought up the like MDMA and and psilocybin and and stuff that they're doing with it now. And I wonder, cause I grew up in the U S and even though we're right next to each other, I, I don't know if the same, for lack of a better term, bullshit about, uh, like the war on drugs. Cause you're, you're a child of the eighties. And like, that was a, that was the big thing, right? Like, and you can trace that back even further to like reefer madness and shit like that. But knowing what I know now and the experiences I've had, if I had a kid and it was like, they can either get drunk every weekend or they can like smoke weed every weekend and be like, oh, I would prefer them smoke weed if I have to pick one. <laughs> Cause I know like long-term effects and, and, I mean, everything else, uh, it's just not great. But then you add in the psychological studies with, with MDMA and psilocybin and stuff. That's, I, I hope that narrative's changing, but I I wonder if you did get any of that and that's where your parents' viewpoints came from in Canada, if that was kind of the same narrative there where it was just like all drugs are bad and everything's good. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, you know remember the the ad with the frying pan and the egg like this is your Rachel Lee Cook yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and 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 also my parents were like good at two-shoes like they never either of them I think like maybe my mom in university like smoked marijuana once upon a time but they were anti-drug because they never participated in it either like they had no frame of reference um and I just remember like my brother and I at some point being like, we should totally get mom on ecstasy. And uh, yeah, I mean, she's 74 now. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think like the key, the key thing that, you know, I mean, now I'm a parent and, uh, you know, my husband and I are having this conversation because, you know, he wants to strategically, expose them to wine drinking at some point, like, you know, 16 plus on as they do in Europe, you know, being showing them how to drink before they learn how to drive. And I'm like, well, okay. But now that I'm sober, like I, you know, some part of me has like a reaction to that, that logic that, so if you're going to do that, then I might also like show them how to drug responsibly. (laughs) Are you okay with that? (laughs) He was like, you know, silence. (laughs) We'll we'll see where that goes. The kids are still like, you know, 10, yeah, at least six years out, hopefully 10, but um, no, not 10. Who are kidding? My 10 year old, I have a 10 year old. So it's not that far away. Oh my God. I'm drawing a blank, not peyote, but what's the, uh, Big, yeah, it's peyote. No, the, yeah. there's one trending right now. What, what out in the desert? Ayahuasca. Yeah, thank you. 
I was like, aren't you in prime prime territory to, <laughs> to get down with some Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's easy to find here. And I have a client actually who swears, it's like, we, we have to do ayahuasca together. I'm like, and I've had opportunities and I just decided, uh, I know, I asked like my um, spiritual mentor and her opinion was like, it's like all of that stuff. Like if you're not integrating it, yeah. you know, like, uh, well, her thing was she knew somebody who was like, you know, very close friends or, you know, was friends with celebrities, if you will. And he had done it like 500 times, these ayahuasca things in Brazil. And um, she's like, I don't feel like this individual is an enlightened person. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's like anything, you know, it's really about the intentionality, you know, uh, the dosage and uh, the integration afterwards, like the way that um, Michael Pollan's presenting it, it's like a very clinical yeah. practice. It's it's very different than you know to date how I have how I have taken those drugs. Um, but to me, like I don't know, I don't have a hard and fast rule in terms of my sobriety that like never like I couldn't do it. It would like it would nullate nullify my sobriety uh, because for me it's like like I said, alcohol is the thing that yeah, I'm um, concerned about. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely open-minded and not, but yeah, I, I also have had much less desire to do those things since I, for all the reasons that alcohol um, or sobriety, I should say has you know, just given me more clarity, confidence. Yeah. Um, and I, I just don't feel the need yeah. to do it in the same way. Well, dry January is winding down. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. For those of you that are looking forward to drinking again, I'm sure it's great, but I hope you learned something. And in light of that, uh, I want to offer you up a couple of options. If you want to keep going, you can check out bravasbrewing.com, some of the best non-alcoholic stouts out there. They just made a campfire stout, which is like a toasted marshmallow stout that they sold out of quicker than I could get some, which is a real bummer. But they keep making uh, these great limited edition stouts, and you can use code FRIENDREQUEST at bravas.com to save 10% on your next order. You can also head over to wellbeingbrewing.com, a friend of the show, and we love those beers that they make. Currently, they're offering that Madagascar vanilla cream ale, and of course, a number of their staples like Intentional IPA, my personal favorite. So head over to wellbeingbrewing.com slash friendrequest. Or go over to Bravis Brewing at bravis.com and use code FRIENDREQUEST. Save yourself 10% and keep that good flavor going without the sting of alcohol. Back to the episode. I'd be curious to see where everything goes over the next 5-10 years um, just in that space. Like There's a podcast I listened to where they were one of the hosts did a ketamine treatment for depression. And it's been months now, and she's like, I've been so much better. And, like, it's something you're – I guess she has to do once a year or, like, once every nine months or something. But, um, like, she described the whole experience, and uh, it sounded, like, uh, torrential. But then, like, coming out of it, it's been life-changing. And so you think about stuff like that when it comes to drugs in general <laughs> or what we've, what we've all labeled as drugs and, and culture and – I'd be curious to see what, what happens and where that goes. And, you know, there's talk of decriminalizing psilocybin in a number of states in the U.S. to to use for those purposes. So that's it's interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, 
Um, but I digress. See tangents. There's going to be plenty of tangents, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> can we jump to your first marriage? Is sure. That, is that something we can talk about? <laughs> Yeah, that was like an ecstasy haze, if you will. <laughs> I mean, we should have been friends, not not uh, life partners. And uh, yeah, well, do you have a direct question? Otherwise, I'll just riff. <laughs> well, no. Do you uh, did you meet him in Brussels, or were you back in? Um... No, I had um, been in Calgary probably back for a year. I at that point I finished, um, two undergrads. So I did a double, I finished the one in psychology and I finished, I did another one in international relations, um, oh, okay. and focused this on identity and Im immigration and multiculturalism. And, um, yeah, I just introduced, I, well, we met in a, in a club. Like I went to a, at that point in my life, if there was like a big DJ in town, I would just go by myself because I'd been like doing all this crazy stuff in Europe. To me, it's like, oh, it's Cal it's like, oh, it's Calvary. Like what's go and there's no one that wants to go. I'm just going to go. And so, um, yeah, we met and we were, you know, we we're talking about who was going to be the ne next hegemony. And, and we like, you know, both agreed that it was probably China and that, you know, just like random things that, you know, you don't generally talk about on a dance floor. And uh, <laughs> so we, we clicked and we, we basically talked all night that first night. And within a week, like he was Ted that got in this job in the United States. And so I, at that point went on a, uh, we were, I was graduating. And so one of my best friends and I already had this plan to go to Europe for, I think at that time, the plan was for three months. Um, and he just kept sending me this plane ticket. So I would go and like leave my girlfriend for seven days in Rome or whatever. And, and, or, you know, at that time we had friends too. So I'd leave her at a friend's house. And, and ultimately I kind of like decided sitting at a cafe in Rome with her, you know, so should I move to Minneapolis with this guy? It seems like <laughs> kind of crazy. And um, so, yeah, I did. I like to do even back, you know, I just always love to do kind of crazy things. Yeah. Push, yeah. The, push the limits. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that to, to a degree. I mean, some people are not built to be like static in one spot, you know? Um, and I think I, I, w I think I would go more places if, my, if, if, I don't know, the, uh, the idea of moving around, or like living in different places is so appealing to me. Uh, but the log the logistics of it, like work and mortgages and all that stupid shit get, get in the way of, of the, uh, the other piece of it. So, um, uh, Minneapolis, how long are you in Minneapolis? I, I know the city well, not that well, but I go, I used to go there a couple times a year for work. Um, it's... Yeah, I loved Minneapolis. Um, I, I'm forgetting the, we lived on Hennepin Avenue. I'm forgetting the name of the lakes that are like, there's all these lakes in the summer that you can boat in. Um, so yeah, we were there for, um, well, like I think our whole relationship was under three years and we were married for less than two. So I think we were maybe there for a year and oh, a okay. bit. And then you go to Houston. Um, and then uh, he changed companies and the boss at this company wanted him in Houston, supposedly, because <laughs> uh, everything was virtual. He didn't technically need to be anywhere, but um, he wanted to be close to this mentor, let's say. And uh, 
I was also pleasantly surprised about Houston. I sort of had like a lot of fear in terms of like being where George Bush was from and all of that. And, you know, most, <laughs> most Texans are like, yeah, the Bushes aren't from here. They live here, but, uh, and so I, I was pleasantly, I really loved Austin and, um, San Antonio and, and there was like lots Austin. of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a completely different now than, I mean, it was a long time ago that I'm I was sure. there, but. Did you like live in uh, Houston, Houston, or like my brother lives down there, but he lives in the woodlands, even though he says he lives in Houston. Um, no, we lived like right in the center in a neighborhood called the Military Rice District, I think it was. Okay. We lived on Roy Street. Um, so we bought a house together and and yeah, like our we we also like eloped. So that's the other thing. Like we only got married because I got kind of caught by immigration trying to come back. We were going back and forth so oh. that I was, you know, coming into the as a Canadian, I can come into the US every six months without any problem, but not you know, working, I can't be living there I'm yeah. just as a tourist. Right. So, um, and I wasn't working, I was studying, um, and I was volunteering for a, um, human rights organization in Minneapolis. And then I volunteered for a different organization in Houston. Um, but still like, that's not okay. <laughs> so, and in therapy later, you know, one of us remembered that conversation in the airport very differently than the other. And, uh, yeah, so we eloped, um, didn't tell anyone that we were married for like a good couple of months. Eventually, like my brother came down to visit us. We're still in Minneapolis. He's like, yeah, come and see my sister, trying to figure out like, who is this guy? And then we, you know, told him drunk on the dance floor that night. <laughs> yeah, we got married a couple months ago. And he's like, what? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, again, I, you were saying like, I think like a lot of my childhood led me to a place where I, I felt like unstable in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's why it wasn't hard for me to do kind of like crazy things. Like I also had this sort of like one of the ways that I dealt with my dad's death was just sort of this embodying this attitude of, you know, like what's meant to happen will happen. Like it doesn't matter how risky or, you know, crazy your decision-making is if it's not, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen, you know? So yeah. I, you know, um, you know, I, you, you function, you survive in the way that you know how at the, at the time, that's what I was. Did you have any regard for the future at that point? Yeah, I did. I mean, I loved life and I had like, yeah, not in like a depressing you know, very... way, but I guess I, and I, this is projecting my own past, but like when I was making a lot of self-destructive decision-making, uh, it was with zero regard for like, I couldn't think about like, Oh, what are you going to be doing in five years? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like what am I, what am I going to be doing right now? Cause if I, the five year thing that, that probably for a long period of my life was like the scariest question you could ask me and I was having fun and I was enjoying things, but like, I couldn't think about that. Cause then you had to like actually drill into like what you're doing. Yeah. And I mean, I, as I kind of, um, talked about with my, you know, the early stages of my university career, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, I had some ideas. Um, but also I had like some deep, you know, self-esteem issues essentially. And, um, I had 
a lot of friends that were going down this very clear, you know, going to an excellent university, knew exactly the career they wanted to be in, were, you know, getting the part-time job in the summer so they'd be perfectly set up to have the the dream job when they're exactly the date that they finish. And, you know, I just felt very um, unclear, unstable in that, like not mentally unstable, but um, like just, I, I really felt like I lacked those roots. Yeah. And at the time I would have thought, you know, it, it, I was telling myself that all those people were like setting themselves up for a boring life. And probably now I would, you know, kind of still think the same thing, but it took me like a long way around to yeah. get to a place where I really feel amazing about my life and secure and, and confident. And so, you know, you know, you do, you do what you do. Very relatable <laughs> for me. Um, well, I, I want to fast forward because I could talk to you about like pre-30 for a very long time. But <laughs> um, what is the catalyst that you're going to just do uh, as you describe your eat, pray, love journey and go to Mexico? Okay, so I was in Toronto post-marriage um, for six years. And um, at that point, I had I feel like I had a lot of clarity. I managed, I got my master's online um, at that point and really wanted to focus on being in the non-for-profit industry. Uh, however, the more that I did that, the more I became very disillusioned that on, on two fronts. One, um, you know, people with doctorates and, you know, years of experience on the ground in Africa were getting like really not willing, like the management positions at Amnesty International in Toronto or whatever, and, and they didn't even pay well. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and then on the other front, seeing that these, because I worked for a, an agency, a fundraising agency that had these, the clients were Amnesty International, Save the Children. And so knowing like what the the profit margin was, or, you know, not, it's not the right word, but, you know, how much money that we were raising would actually go to the cause. Yeah. It just made me realize that they're, you know, they operate a lot more like a corporation than we kind of want to think. And um, so I was struggling to find like the dream job within that industry slash sphere, um, almost got my dream job working for Stephen Lewis, who's like, um, you know, a politician in Canada who has his own organization. Um, and it was just to be his like executive assistant and basically came down to me three. I was like top three of 600 plus applications and, you know, basically they just, they're like, we don't believe that you're going to be happy in this executive. It's like, this position is going nowhere. You know, like you're going to be booking flights. Like this is the job. It's not, it's not like a gateway into the organization. And, you know, they read me better than I could read myself at the time. Right. So, but it was a gift because then, um, you know, so I'm 30, about to turn 30, uh, been on, on and off with this guy who, you know, was one of the greatest loves of my life. We were to get off and on for, I want to say six years, five for sure. Um, which is a story in itself, but I, he kept sort of threatening, like he didn't want to settle down because he's going to go travel the world by himself and he wants to do that single. And, and, and so, but then like years went by and, and I'm, so I just thought like, well, I'm going to go. Yeah. <laughs> And I beat him to the punch. I mean, he did eventually go, but uh, the catalyst was my mom invited me down. She and her husband at the time uh, were doing like Puerto Vallarta every March and renting a, an apartment there. And she, yes. for my 30th birthday, invited me down and I, you know, found myself on the dance floor in Puerto Vallarta, basically. 
I'm like, I need to move to Mexico. This is the answer. And everyone thought I was crazy, but that just made me like the idea more. <laughs> and you've been there for how long now? Uh, 13 years. Wow. And what part of Mexico are you in? I'm in the South in a state that most people have never heard of called Chiapas. I hadn't heard of it either before I moved here. Uh, it borders Oaxaca, which you might've heard of. Um, and it's South of Quintana Roo where Cancun and Tulum are. Okay. Um, what do you, what do you, so what, what do you do then? What you're in Canada, you end up staying there. Um, I mean, not to jam a bunch of stuff into one narrative, but like, how do you start your company? How do you like meet your husband? Meet, like have become a mother. Yeah. All this happens while you're in Mexico. Yeah. So my <laughs> loose plan was like a year in Mexico, a year in Bali, a year, like where the universe is going to take me. Right. And yeah. so like two months into um, I did backpack and like try and figure out where I wanted to live. And I, I didn't feel like I wanted to be on a beach. I wanted to be in like a, you know, colonial city in the center. Um, and I want was like a whole other story. But basically, when I finally did figure out where I wanted to be, I met my husband, uh, a friend I still have passed me his contact because she wanted to offload him as a client, private client, if you will. Um and yeah, so I taught him private English lessons for about two months before we started dating. And then, you know, we dated for a year and then I was kind of like in trying to figure out, I'm like, do I stay to figure out what this relationship's going or not? And so I decided to renew for another six months as a teacher at the school. Uh, and yeah, so then the rest is history. We both had previous divorces and he was actually in the process of getting divorced. And, um, you know, I was his English teacher slash confidant, like psychologist, I think at the time. <laughs> what is, what's uh, real quick with what's the language situation? Um, do you just, me? yeah. No. Did you just know Spanish? Were you like fluent when you, no, uh -oh. <laughs> no, no, no. So in Canada, you have to study um, French. Yeah, whole, yeah, yeah. Like, so I had like some semblance of a second language, but obviously they're very different. Uh, no, I just, I like, I signed up for a lot of classes at the, you know, there's lots of schools where they teach you know, normally tourists, but, um, and I did that for several months before I actually came and accepted this job. Um, and, but also if you're, you know, wanting to be an English teacher, pretty much any in the world, you can live in an English bubble, you know, yeah. either, everyone else that works at the school is an expat, uh, you know, you can only socialize with them. In fact, normally at the schools, they don't want you to speak anything but English. Uh, so I very much, I, I had a decent, like I could get by, but I did not really have a, a good level until I decided to stay and, and open a yoga studio, in which case I'm like, okay, I need to I had been yoga teaching for a long time, but not in a language, different language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I really, how I got better is I just learned like a specific, like my, my dialogue as a teacher with, you know, the three or four types of classes that I taught and um, just got more and more comfortable with that and continued to study. Um, yeah. So then had children, like we decided to move in together. We decided to have children together all before we wanted to get married because again, like we both come from this sort of background of, you know, marriage sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, yeah. So then I start working with a health coach. My children are like two and four. I have like just accepted that I'm never going to get another good night's sleep and kind of, you know, just 
feeling like I'm surviving, not thriving by any means. And um, working with a health coach just really helped me see that that was a path for me. Like I knew I wanted to do something beyond teaching yoga. Like I, I enjoyed having the yoga studios here while I did, but it wasn't enough. Like it wasn't going to be intellectually stimulating uh, in the long run. I needed, yeah. I wanted something else that incorporated like the teachings or, you know, the, the threads of, of yoga as a practice, um, but not just that. And so I started working with a health coach personally. She invited me to be, she was actually a private yoga student of mine and she invited me to be like her guinea pig client and i'm like eh, okay uh and that's a whole story in itself but you know i really saw how like some really small changes even though i was just exhausted and felt like i couldn't do anything differently just doing a little few things differently for two weeks i felt so much better than i just you know it's like this this ripple effect or you uh domino effect you build on it yeah and um so yeah, within a couple months of being her client, I had signed up to be certified as a health coach myself. Nice. I then went on to um, become an expert in detoxification and I got uh, certified to be a plant-based chef. I just kind of like kept, you know, you sit in the entrepreneurial space, it's like the certification-itis, like you feel like you're not quite certified or knowledgeable enough to like serve clients and- Consistent you know, imposter I, syndrome? <laughs> yes, exactly. So I did that for a couple of years and just kept like building on certification after certification. And it wasn't, um, you know, I had, I had clients, but I did not have the vision uh, until 2020 to have like a global business. I did have the vision that I wanted something. I wanted to build a business that could go with me when we moved back to Canada, which was always with the plan. Um, well, move back for me or my husband's going to be move. <laughs> When do you quit uh, drinking and all that? Uh, so like a year after starting to work with the health coach, okay. um, even starting working with her, I had this concept of, oh, I'm going to try mindful drinking for a year. So yeah, like how, which, you know, I think a lot of alcoholics start with these rules and how like yeah. somehow that's the solution. <laughs> uh, and I, and it definitely had a better experience, but I ultimately had, just enough and ultimately one last you know the straw that broke the camel's back where i was just, you know like not just crossed so many lines that i swore as a daughter of an alcoholic like i would never do as a parent and um yeah i just at that point it was i'm like a spontaneous sobriety story so i didn't go to aa i didn't yeah. really even have support Same. my one best friend um she and I, you know, like used to drink way too much at Earl's. This is a restaurant in Calgary. Um, she got sober. Well, she's been sober 11 years. So like maybe seven years before me. And so she was kind of like my only link or, you know, but I, I didn't even use her in, as a sponsor in that sense. I, it was just, it was a decision for me. Um, However, it was a decision. Like, I don't think I would have done it if I was deciding to drink, quit drinking forever. I, I decided to quit drinking for three months or I think or a year, maybe it was, um, and see how I felt. That was the experiment. And ultimately, like I never went back. Yeah. And I knew like even a month in that I was, you know, this was better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely relate to that. And it's always, I like the, I like the phrasings, uh, spontaneous sobriety story. Cause that I quit drinking for a medic. I mean, I, I knew that I was, <laughs> 
like making terrible decisions when I was drunk. It's like, oh, you did all this work on therapy that goes completely out the window when you're when you're shit faced. Um, but then I had to quit drinking for medication for six months. And like mm. being sober for six months, whether you want to or not, like that'll clear some shit up for you. Um, and so, well, and I, I will say, like, I had my my children sort of gifted me the experience because I <laughs> yeah. had one one child breastfed the other one. Like, basically, there was a four year window where I was not drinking. You know, I was either pregnant or breastfeeding. So, you know, under all social norms, you're not drinking. Yeah. Um, or you know, I like had a sip of red here and there, but I also it just didn't hit me the same. Like, I didn't want to drink. I wasn't missing it in that at that time. And so, I you know, I just gained a lot of clarity spent a lot of time in around the people that i'd same people like watching the drinking and not being a participant is also very informative <laughs> uh and but at the beginning of i still had this idea that i wanted to get back to like being my old self yeah. to some extent and yeah i just really feel better sober that's great um so tell me, I mean, tell me what you're doing now with, with Megan Swan wellness, like what it is and what you're, yeah. what you're doing. So I still coach one-on-one -on -one wellness clients. Um, I, despite the fact that all of my messaging has always been directly to women, um, I coach, you know, my clients are 50, 50 right now. So I've been attracting a lot more male clients, um, this year, which I've really enjoyed, honestly, working with men. <clears throat> and so I walked them through a six pillar wellness system and then layer on six pillars of mindset because I really believe if you want to make sustainable long-term changes, it requires a mindset shift and yeah. arguably even an identity shift when we get down to it. Um, so that's, I mean, I, that's the work that lights me up is working on one-on-one -on -one just to see like massive trans transformations in people in, in a six month period. Um, and then this past year, I've really focused on, um, getting speaking engagements and working with corporations. Um, I do wellness audits and, um, hoping to consult more on informing that, well, one startups that don't have necessarily a company culture yet, and also just smaller companies that want to optimize their company culture to be more wellness, um, wellness forward, if you will. Yeah. Is that mostly virtual um, right now? Yeah, um, I did have my first event, um, in-person event was in New York uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that was really exciting. I spoke at a, a woman's uh, female entrepreneur conference. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly virtual, like all of my clients. In the beginning, I still had a few clients in Mexico, but at this point in time, I don't have any clients in Mexico. They're all in the US, Canada, or Europe. Okay. Yeah, I, I love hearing that you're working with men too, because um, I did see a lot of like women-centric stuff, uh, you know, in, in a lot of your um, material branding uh, website. Mm -hmm. I can't think of words right now, but I, I just did a special episode on, on essentially like the help-seeking patterns of men and like where we need to open that up and, um, you know, because traditional talk therapy isn't isn't for a lot of guys and and there's alternative methods that tend to work better yeah and I think like to me the difference like I was never a therapist I did study psychology and I'm sure I you know 
subconsciously or subconsciously and subconsciously incorporated into my work at times, but it's more, you know, there's a massive difference between working with a therapist and a coach in terms of, um, you know, outcome and timeline. And um, really it's just giving you tools to take action instead of just kind of, you know, quote unquote, working through, definitely we need probably going to work through some things, but it's more like, all right, well, how can we start putting that in action? So it becomes a practice. It becomes who you are. Um, and it doesn't seem like, um, something you have to, you know, think about. Yeah. But I mean, you did touch on mindset though, and that's, that's so, so important. And I think underrated when people think about like, oh, I want to change this or do this better. And, and, um, I mean, and the, just circling back to drinking, like there's a lot of people that just think like, I'm going to quit drinking and then everything's going to be fine. But there's like, oh no, you have to like, there's a lot of underlying shit there that you also have to uh, address. Uh, And I think that's true with a lot of uh, habit changing, right? If you want to change something you're doing in your life, there's probably going to be like a bigger psychological change you're going to have to make. And you mentioned identity, like, yeah, like, that might involve how you define yourself, who you hang out with. Like there's a, there's a lot there, you know, and sometimes it happens organically. Like, you know, if you're a pothead and you quit smoking weed, you're probably not going to hang out with the same people, (laughs) but, uh, sometimes it's, it's something you really have to create an awareness about that. That can be some of the hardest steps. So that's, that's really cool to hear that you're doing that. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, Thanks. And I think, you know, most people, it's, it's about finding something that brings them as much joy, if not you know, probably more joy, replacing these things with um, a different community or, you know, in the beginning, like I put all of my new energy into running. I'd been told in, as a kid, like I'm not a runner by my gym teacher. And then, you know, within uh, six months of starting, no, within a year of starting running, I completed my first marathon. I did like five half marathons and I just, I learned so much about myself um, doing something that I thought that I couldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. There's a uh, limits are limiting. Is that the most redundant thing I've ever said? Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> but it's, it is, it is funny. And I talking to myself, I think right now, cause there's plenty that I don't believe that I can accomplish. And like, I'm slowly year by year, by year getting, getting better at believing, uh, the opposite narrative. So, um, is there anything I didn't talk about that you wanted to mention or, or talk about? I've kept you kept you for a while. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, we covered a lot. So, I mean, if you like, I like to, I like like to like run a, the gamut. A whole right? other... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I just um, really appreciate the space to share. You know, uh, lots of aspects of my story. Um, I think at the end of the day. I, I really just believe in, I, the, I'm inspired and my mission is to just help other people optimize their own wellness so that they feel more empowered to do things that maybe they would have never considered that they could do before. That's awesome. That's a great, it's a great mission to have. Uh, And people can find you meganswanwellness.com and then um, I'm assuming on socials and everywhere else. And we'll tag all that in the, in the show notes. Um, Random thing, I saw this on your website a while ago. You have your master's in integrative studies? 
Yes. So that's my undergrad. And I it's, it, I don't often see that. So I was like, oh, that's so funny, especially. On a, <laughs> There's somebody else that studied that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Because um, it's it's not a huge, not a huge field that people are always very confused and I have to explain it to them. So <laughs> I don't know if you yeah, do that Yeah, that's cool. We share that. Yeah. Uh, most people in my work, nobody asks me what I studied in university. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just more concerned if they, I can get them the results that they desire. And uh, they're more concerned about other things, yeah. but like me being compassionate about whatever they need to yeah. work through. Yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, Megan, I appreciate your time and, and, and chatting with me today. Well, this has been a pleasure and um, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right. You just listened to my interview with Megan Swan. Did you guys like that? Isn't that fun? I I have so many more questions. Um you know, it's always funny when you dig into certain areas and people either brush over it or don't find importance there. And, and that could be true, but I, so I don't know. I have a curious mind. I want to dig in. I want to dig in hard, especially if someone summarizes. If I ask them like about their childhood and they summarize and all of a sudden we're in their 20s, I was like, oh, something happened. Let's, let's get in there. Let's find out why we, why we went through that timeline so quickly. But who knows? I'm in a class right now where um, it's it's all about psychotherapy theories and whatnot. And I have discovered that I am very eclectic when it comes to my methodology, and that checks out. <laughs> For anyone who's listened to all these episodes, and uh, you know, it always starts out the same, right? Like, how do I know you? When were you born? tell me about your parents. And then it just could go 900 different directions. And I love that. Listen to the, listen to the person that's talking. Don't, don't create your own narrative, right? Oh, January's over. I can't believe it's already February. I mean, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, we have another day or two, I think, but still that's crazy, right? 2023 already going off, going crazy going nuts. Um, do you guys participate in dry January? I didn't hear from many people about it. Um, but you know, I surround myself with a lot of people that also don't drink. So it's kind of just dry every day. <laughs> uh, I'd be curious to hear if you did it, if it was a success, did you make it the whole 31 days? Shoot me an email, Justin's friend request at gmail.com and let me know. I would love to hear that. And I would also love to know what else is going on in your guys' lives. Love hearing from you. If you want to be part of a closer-knit community, you can join Patreon. Uh, it's about a dollar a month, which goes directly to this show, paying for hosting fees and all that fun stuff. And that is at patreon.com slash friendrequestpod. And if you're not already, give us a follow on Instagram, at friendrequestpod. And if you guys could just uh, do a little rate and review... Right there where you're listening to this right now, just go to that home screen and do a little uh, five stars. I hope you loved it. If you didn't love it, before you leave a lower rating, please let me know. Um, all right. I'm going to go.
guys. I'll talk to you next week. Uh, when, I, you know, I think we do have a sober person coming up, but not with a, not with a theme on it. All right. I will talk to you later. Bye-bye.